everybody and welcome to Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the artistic, creative side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John, I'm your host, and I'm recording on a Friday night in December. Um, I had planned for this to be the first of the uh, the show's Games of the Year season episodes. Didn't quite come together, um, those episodes are in the works. And so for this episode, I've decided to talk through a few games that I've had notes for for a while that I've been meaning to review. Some pretty interesting ones, actually. So I've got a bit of a grab bag review episode coming up for you. I'm going to talk about Wavetail, um, which has been making waves. No no pun intended, honestly. I don't know what happened there. Please forgive me. Um, Since it was announced a few weeks back, it has a very striking visual style. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that game, which is coming out on the consoles Uh, this weekend. I'm also going to talk about a highly rated um, game of the year contender for some called Signalis, which I've played a little bit of. I'm going to talk about a puzzle game in the portal vein called The Entropy Center, an indie game that came out a month ago. And I'm going to talk about a couple demos that I played as well. I played the demo of Forspoken and I played the demo of Seasons, A Letter to the Future, both of which were announced at the Game Awards. So it's a bit of a big show. Um, I'm squeezing in some games here that I've been planning to review but didn't get to. And it's quite an interesting bunch. But before I get to all that, um, the Game Awards happened last night as I'm recording it. I watched some of it, I was pretty sleepy. Um, I've had a terrible cold this last few days, so I'm sorry if my voice sounds a little uh, deep and more deep and husky than usual uh, today. But um, I'm recovering from a cold. Um, so I, I lay watching the Game Awards last night um, as I couldn't sleep and... It was pretty eventful. There were some reveals, there were some good moments and stuff. So I thought that we would start there on today's show and just recap the events of this year's Game Awards. It's always a big event in the gamer calendar, even if it's not necessarily that interesting for folks that are interested in indie games like this podcast tends to lean towards most of the time. Um, But there was some interesting stuff there. The awards themselves were pretty predictable, I would say. Um, God of War Ragnarok won more than I would have perhaps guessed it would. Um, Elden Ring took Game of the Year. Uh, Stray got the best indie game. Um, Most of my favourite games got passed over, like Horizon didn't win anything. Really liked that game. Immortality, Norco and Citizen Sleeper were all up for a couple. Um, Immortality for three, Norco and Citizen Sleeper for one each. None of them won. So most of my favourite games got a nomination but didn't win anything, which tends to be the case at the Game Awards. Um, It was nice to see Stray get some recognition. Um, But I will say that when it comes to indie games, the Game Awards has a bit of a a pattern of um, giving indie game awards to the games that look the most like AAA games, like Kena, Bridge of Spirits, swept the board with best debut indie and best indie last year. Stray did the same this year. Those are just the games with the most polished graphics um, in those categories. So more interesting games just seem to get passed over in favor of games that look the part. But you know, everyone's got opinions about the Game Awards. I'm not gonna sit here and critique it for ages. It is what it is. But a few games were announced, so I'm going to talk about some of the announcements, some of the interesting uh, game previews that we saw at the awards. Um, but there were a couple of interesting moments in the ceremony. I think the first one was maybe uh, Christopher Judge won the award for the best performance. He played Kratos in God of War. Um, I was hoping for Man on Gage to win that one from Immortality, but Christopher Judge gave an incredibly long rambling and emotional speech um, that just seemed to never end. It was the first big award of the night and it went on for so long. Um, <laughs> it cut to Jeff Keighley looking amused, bemused and like you could kind of see that the, the, the schedule for the awards was already slipping out of his hands even at that early point. It was so long that I actually tweeted is this speech from Christopher Judge on how long to beat. Um, So that was a pretty amusing beginning to the show. Um, It was a heartfelt speech. I'm not criticizing Christopher Judge, but it was just, it was just long. 
And the other big viral talking point that came out of it was there was a stage invader who slipped onto the stage along with four members of From Software, um, like Agent 47 and Hitman. It was crazy to see. Um, so this kid came down to the front of the stage with a big mane of bushy black hair. And as From Software were going on stage, he just s sort of slipped into their group and climbed onto the stage of the Game Awards. He was even patting them on the back as if to reassure them that he was meant to be there. And he stood with them for the whole um, duration of their acceptance speeches, quite politely. Um, and then as everyone was about to leave the stage, he took the mic and decided to uh, thank his rabbi, Bill Clinton, and dedicate the award to Bill Clinton. Um, this has been interpreted in a whole bunch of ways online, as you can imagine. Um, some people think that it's some kind of alt-right plot. Uh, some people think that um, it was a protest of some kind about, I guess, 90s American Middle Eastern foreign policy. Um, both of those seem like a bit of a stretch to me, although, you know, if it is any kind of anti-Semitism and it does turn out to be that, then of course it's super bad. Uh, but most people seem to think that it's just some kind of troll gibberish and that this kid got on stage um, as a prank. Um, he was arrested afterwards, which took me a little by surprise. Um, it seems like kids being arrested is bad usually. Um, turned out Jason Schreier spoke to him today. Turns out he's a Hebrew-speaking 15-year-old called Matan who didn't give much away whilst speaking to Jason Schreier and stayed in character, as the journalist uh, said on Twitter. So that was a bit of a spectacle. Um, there are some pretty strong memes online. Uh, things like, your game has been invaded by Matan in uh, the Dark Souls 3 font, and uh, Rabbi thanked in the uh, the Great Enemy Feld font. So people have been having a lot of fun with Matan's protest. Uh, maybe less fun for Jeff Keighley, um, as it was like, very, very high-profile moment. It was the uh, right after the Game of the Year award. Um, so that went down as well. That was a talking point from the awards. Um, but there were a whole bunch of game announcements. I've pulled out five that caught my eye. The first one was uh, Post Trauma. This is uh, going to be published by Raw Fury, which is a good sign. Um, they publish good games. Um, and it was a very sad, dreamy, macabre-looking... Uh, creepy kind of game, third-person adventure game, in which you play as a middle-aged Japanese train conductor who, for some reason, seems to have gone into like some kind of underworld that, that resembles a drainage system or a tunnel system. Um, so it's a somewhat existential, somewhat horror-leaning game. That, that one kind of caught my eye. The graphics look kind of good. And the fact that Raw Fury are attached to it, also a good sign. That one was post-trauma. Um, the next one that caught my eye is by Thunderful. They just seem to be killing it lately. Uh, Wavetail, which I'm going to talk about today, is a Thunderful game. Um, it's getting to the point where when I see Thunderful on something, I, I'm willing to try it. They're a publisher that have been buying up game developers, um... And they put forward a game called Viewfinder. Um, they're going to publish that one. It's by a Scottish game dev who I looked up called Sad Owls, I think they're called. Looked them up on Twitter, and they've still got like 200 followers or something. Um, so small-scale team in Scotland. Viewfinder is a game where you take pictures in a Polaroid style, but as you look at the pictures, at least in the trailer, you were able to enter the pictures, or the pictures sprang to life and came towards you in a perspective, trickery kind of way. Looked very interesting, uh, colourful, eye-catching. That was Viewfinder. Um, there was a game that some folks were talking about in the show's Discord called Replaced. It's a very stylized, um, side-scrolling sci-fi game that looks like a part platformer, part detective noir, um, maybe somewhere along the lines of something like Katana Zero, but without that super-fast, zippy... Um, my friend Pedro vibe to it. A bit slower, somewhere between something like Unavowed, the, the pixel art uh, point and click, and something like Kitana Zero. But it's very dark, got a good graphical style, kind of pixelated filter over polygons that makes it almost look like voxels. Uh, that one's coming out in 2023. That was replaced. Uh, one of the big ones that also caused a bit of a buzz in the show's Discord was Earthblade. This is a new game... Uh, by the developers of Celeste. Um, and it looks like a pretty similar game. It's a pixel art platform game. Um, a lot of people really love Celeste. Um, Earthblade, not a great name. There are so many games like Earthlock and Something Blade 
that it's just a bit of a nothingy name, if you know what I mean. Um, but the Celeste developers have made a beloved game, and so I'm sure a lot of people were happy to see um, them unveil their next project. Uh, but the big one of the night for me, and I think for most people, uh, was Hades 2. Um, as soon as the Supergiant logo flashed up on the screen at the Game Awards, there was a huge cry in the arena. Um, it was nice to hear, actually. Like, Supergiant have become such a big name now after Bastion, Transistor, Pyre, the, the vastly underrated Pyre, um, and then Hades, which was obviously a big hit and won um, Best Indie Game at the Game Awards two years ago. Um, and so Hades 2 is a continuation of that game. It looks very similar. It has a different protagonist, um, a witch called Melanoi, um, but it's still set in the Greek pantheon. Melanoi is apparently the sister of Zagreus and the daughter of Hecate. Um, and we see some interactions with people like Apollo, Nemesis, and Doom Incarnate. So it's still in the pantheon, but maybe going um, with a few more deeper cuts, having used up a lot of people or gods rather, like Zeus and Neptune and um, all of those kind of gods, those commonly known gods in the last game. Um, but the graphics look nice, same hand-drawn style, looks like the same gameplay, so it might just be more of Hades 2. Um, but interestingly, it is going to go into early access. Um, there, were, there were no dates about when. It seems to be in the early stages right now. But it's going to go into early access on PC, so if it follows the path of Hades, then we could expect a lengthy early access period on PC uh, before it comes out to console. Um, so that was very exciting for people. There was also an announcement of Death Stranding 2. Um, I have mixed feelings on Death Stranding. I think it's... I'm, I'm glad that it exists. I'm not sure if it is a good game, in inverted commas. Um, I certainly had an interesting time with it, which is maybe enough for it to be a good game. Uh, but Death Stranding 2 is coming out. Um, it stars Norman Reedus again. We saw some familiar cast members, including Fragile, um, is back for the second game. We saw some scenes of giant machines coming out of seas of goop. Um, there was some strange story stuff, including babies and the imagery that we're used to from Death Stranding. Hideo Kojima was there, um, and he gave a little speech in Japanese with a translator. He did say that he has rewritten this game um, after COVID, which is interesting. So he already had an outline for Death Stranding 2, and after the pandemic, he tore it up and started again. Um, interesting to note that. So Hideo Kojima is up to his tricks again, and Death Stranding 2 is confirmed. Off to the side of the Game Awards, Wholesome Games also gave a mini-direct where they talked through a few indie games that are coming out, and I'm just going to give a quick run through a few of those. We saw some more of the game Chia. This is a 3D exploration game that looks a little bit like a little bit like Wind Wakery. Again, you're flying around the waves on a boat. Um, you can soul jump between animals, so you can swim and you can fly. It's based on the folklore and the magic of New Caledonia, um, it looks absolutely beautiful. It's a blissful-looking game, really. It's like a sun-baked, gentle, seemingly violence-free exploration game based on nature and culture of New Caledonia. Um, they're still working on that. We didn't get a date for it, but I will just keep watching that one. Um, it's been on my mind since it was in a Nintendo Direct a while ago. Um, there was also one called Way to the Woods, in which she plays a deer, and there's not much more to say other than that. Um, there was one memorable scene in this trailer where the deer is in a train station and headbutts a vending machine um, to get stuff out of it for a, a foal. I think they're called foals, right? Um, a baby deer? Anyway, so Way to the Woods, game where you play as a deer. Um, no idea if it's good or not, but the graphical style and the concept, um, I was like, yep, I want to know more. Um, there was a game revealed called Tiny Glade. It looks a little bit like a mix between Cloud Gardens and Townscaper. Uh, Cloud Gardens being the game where you create voxel, um, dioramas and Townscaper being the game that's almost like an automatic game where you click on uh, buildings to make them evolve. Um, you just click and click and click and your town evolves and evolves and evolves. And Tiny Glade looks somewhere between the two. It's like a clicker but when you raise and lower fences and towers you change the look of your, your nice little tableau. So it seems like just a model making experience. Um, I'm interested to find out if there is any gamification in it. Um, there was another one that looked interesting called Valley Peaks. Um, it reminded me of A Sludge Life meets A Short Hike. It had the look and mood of A Short Hike, animals, um, colourful graphics, but it had the movement of Sludge Life, like uh, para-ascending, quick climbing, 
uh, parkour, that kind of thing. So that was an interesting one. I'll be keeping an eye on Valley Peaks. Um, and there was a game called Europa that looks very, very cute. It's a third-person exploration game where you can fly and float as you are traversing the landscape. It just looked very nice. Um, I will put a link to some of those trailers and a link to the Wholesome Direct in the show notes if you would like to check out some of those trailers from last night. And before we get on to talking about some games, um, let me just say a quick thank you to the newest patron of the show, Rachel, who signed up yesterday. Just as the Game Awards were starting, I got a little notification ping up on my iPad, and it said, you have a new patron. So thank you very much to Rachel. It always cheers me up to see that little ping that a new patron has decided to support the show. Um, Rachel will get access to nine patron-only bonus episodes, an invite to the show's Discord, and various other perks for being a patron. Um, In the Discord currently, we are having a patron Game of the Year vote. I've set up a little form where people can punch in their top five games of the year. That's going to be open until the 15th of December. So if you're hearing this before the 15th, then you can become a patron, join the Discord, and vote in the first Gaming in the Wild patron games of the year list. And I will talk through that one on a future show before the end of this year, hopefully. So please do come and support the show if you're a regular listener or a first-time listener who's just found us today. You can do so for a dollar a month at patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. Uh, Thanks very much to all of my existing patrons. We've been having some great chats there lately about the World Cup, about the Game Awards, about God of War Ragnarok, about Hard Space Shipbreaker, Elden Ring. People are talking about all kinds of games. You're welcome to come and join us. Thanks very much to all my patrons, and thank you very much to you, if that's something that you would consider. And with that, let's move on to talking about some games that I have actually played, rather than all of the announcements and the Game Awards fun. The first of which is going to be a demo for the forthcoming Forspoken. So Forspoken is a game that we've known about for a while. It's going to be published by Square Enix, and it is being made by Luminous Productions, the makers of Final Fantasy XV. Um, It's coming out soon. It's coming out on January the 24th. It's had multiple delays, and it has been uh, in the news somewhat for that reason. It's been pushed back a couple of times. Um, There have been various times when critics had hands-on time with the game, and they've had their doubts. I remember seeing some uh, videos by Easy Allies and by SkillUp, and they said that the game felt a little patchy and that they weren't sure where it was going to come down. Um, But it's a nice show of confidence that the developers have released this demo at the Game Awards. They clearly think that it's ready to be played. And so they've released a sizable demo. Um, It's a big swathe of open world, including like a large valley area with cliffs all around it, including lakes and woods and a giant bridge, two castles to explore, an abandoned village. Uh, churches to rest at. It's a really substantial area of game. I'm a little surprised by how much game is in this demo. I've played it for two hours and I still think I'm about halfway through what is there. Um, I have loads left to do there. Um, And the, the premise of Forspoken is that someone from our world, a girl from New York City, is sucked into a magic kingdom for some reason. Um, And in this kingdom, she has magical superpowers. She's told to go and save the world from evil witches. It's a bit of a a strange pantomime premise. It's a bit cheesy, uh, a bit naff. I wasn't a big fan of this when I first heard about it. We don't really need a wisecracking modern-day New York protagonist, you know. Um, We've seen those kind of stories so often. I guess it's maybe supposed to be a modern-day Alice in Wonderland of some kind, but it seems a lot less um, smart or fun than Alice in Wonderland. It's more like a cheesy Disney thing, like modern-day girl ends up in strange situation. Um, And it has a lot of sass as well. Like, there's a lot of this girl sassing the magical world around her. And I think that this might be like Marmite. Some people are going to love this. I I think a lot of people are going to not like it. It's a bit... I don't know. It's a bit off somehow. Um, But the game itself... The reason I'm drawn to it, given that premise not being good, is that it has amazing-looking traversal. And I've been watching this every time there's a trailer, because it looks a little bit like the traversal is like Solar Ash or Pathless or something like that. You can skate at high speed through this 3D world and parkour up walls and across cliff edges. You can uh, jump and dash and air dash. Um, It looks very, very mobile, and I absolutely love games like that, where you can explore and feel free. It just touches on something in my mind, like 
It's something that I think about even in daily life. I sometimes wish, as I'm trudging along the pavements of Reykjavik, that I could just lift off the ground and dash through the air. It's like this, this fantasy of being lighter, lighter than air, just being able to move freely through the world. Um, so I love games that make that a reality, and Forspoken certainly does. Um, the dashing is pretty cool. Um, it's a little bit less fluid than I had hoped. Like, you have to hold down circle to dash, and you have to hold it down the whole time. There is a meter that runs down, and it's automatic parkour, so your character will just careen across the landscape, um, hopping over crates and tents, hopping up short cliff sides and things like that. But if you run at a cliff that's too tall, um, you will sort of jank up it and then float against it when you've reached the top of your parkour range and then just kind of jank float down to the ground again, um, which is just really unfortunate. Um, there is no indication of whether you can or cannot parkour up a surface. There is no height indication. So you just have to judge it on eye, which means you often find yourself almost getting to the top of something and then drifting back down again. So feels a little bit strange, feels a little bit unfinished, I would say, and rough around the edges. Um, but the game also has combat. These are field encounters with groups of enemies in a JRPG style and field bosses. Um, there are also some Animus style, Assassin's Creed style virtual challenges where you check into an environment and fight some people. Um, I backed out of those whenever I went into them. I was like, I don't want to be doing virtual combat challenge modes. I want to be exploring this beautiful world's um, but there are magic attacks, you have melee attacks, ranged attacks, you can use a, a magical sword, a magical bow, a magical spear, all of those kinds of things. You can get combos pretty easily from just button mashing, or you can learn sequences of button pushes to do powerful combos. You can do timed presses for parries and that sort of thing. You have special attacks that are pretty spectacular on a cooldown. For example, making lava appear across a large area of ground, um, or different elemental attacks. You can use the parkour button to dodge. As you hit enemies, HP numbers fly off them in the JRPG style. Um, and the elemental thing seems to be pretty big in this game. Um, you'll see words like resistant and vulnerable popping up during combat to indicate to you that you're not using the right kind of attack. Um, there are two different kinds of weapon wheels that you can use for passive and active magic. Um, it's very much like, I mean, I guess, I guess this literally is the developers of Final Fantasy XV, a JRPG, uh, with Western-leaning uh, mechanics and a, a different vibe to the traditional JRPG, trying to make a Western-style action-adventure, which is what Forspoken is. Um, so it's somewhere between Final Fantasy XV and aiming towards being something like a Horizon-style game, um, but it exists a little awkwardly between those two stools. It still seems to have this um, dice roll, XP, um, hit points... Uh, elemental combination JRPG uh, hangover, uh, which is fine. Um, and then it has this slick action combat, which isn't actually all that slick in a way. So it's falling between the two stools. And whilst it is fun, I can imagine that, I don't know, I'm, I'm, the jury is out. I've played two hours. I've beaten a couple of bosses. I've fought a boss that was too powerful and backed away from it, um, taken out like a one section of combat that was almost like a Musu game, like where there were waves of enemies that was just smashing back en masse. So there's a lot of different stuff smashed into this game, um, and whether or not it all gels together, my first instinct is maybe not, um, but another instinct that I have is that the further you get into this, there is depth there. I feel that there is depth in learning these elemental combos, and so perhaps it's the kind of game that as you play it, you will get more into it. You know, two hours is not an awfully long time. Um, but it's a bit more of a systems-heavy game than something like Horizon. Um, the, the more classic Western-style action-adventure RPG-style games, they they ease you in gently. They, they give you weapons slowly and in sequence. You get to learn each weapon. They really walk you through things. They really mastered tutorialization and not overwhelming you. Um, I'm not sure that the developers of Forspoken have learned all of those lessons, um, but, I mean, I had a good time with this one. I would say, to close out, that it's technically a little all over the place. Um, there is a quality mode, ray tracing mode, and performance mode. I played mostly in performance mode, which was an, a not solid 60 frames per second, but incredibly blurry. The resolution took a huge hit, a huge clarity hit, 
uh, where trees looked blurry in the distance, um, still popping in performance mode. Uh, ray tracing mode looked beautiful, but was so slow um, and dropping so many frames that I wouldn't consider it playable. Um, quality mode um, is somewhere in between, but when I when I tried to play quality mode, it started hurting my eyes. I think it was dropping frames. It was a lot of judder and slowdown. So it's technically not quite there. And with a release date that's two months away, um, you know, it's going to need a first day patch. Um, I'm hoping that they get there because I would like to play more of this game. Um, but I mean, I get vibes of something like Biomutant, which I've been playing a little bit of, or something like Sonic Frontiers almost. When I look at this game, uh, more than Horizon, it's like it's got Horizon-level aspirations, but it's com coming off a little bit more, or somewhere between Horizon and something like Sonic Frontiers, which has got pop-in strangeness, fluid movement, but very fun. So that's the kind of ballpark it's coming down in. Not sure if I'm going to buy it. I never get codes from Square, um, so it would be a buy, but I've got a feeling that, I've just got this feeling that Forspoken is not going to sell well. Um, it's not going to do as well as they hope, and that means that it might end up on a, a PS Plus or a Game Pass down the line a little. So I don't know, just going to feel that one out. Um, but there was another demo that came out um, and was announced at the Game Awards. It's a game that I've been really looking forward to, this one. Another game that I've been really looking forward to. It's more in my taste bracket than Forspoken. It's a bit less of a, a speculative fascination and more of a, I'm probably going to like this game. And after having played the demo, I think that I'm going to love it. Um, it's a demo for Season, A Letter to the Future. Um, this one was on a state of play a while back. It's a slow, meditative, narrative-led exploration game in which you play a character, a very, very cool character, um, who rides a bike, who take pic takes pictures, who records sounds, and is documenting the world as it approaches a change of some kind, a change of season. So it's got an ecological underpinning, a personal underpinning, um, and a cultural underpinning. It's got a nice feel to the whole thing. It's a game about observing and documenting the world and unwinding the world's story. Uh, the demo is pretty short. I think it was 20 minutes or so. It's just one tiny area of the game. It has very nice ambient music that's not too interruptive. Um, it has narration from the protagonist, which is voice acted. Um, and it has a lovely flat shaded art style, almost like a cool graphic novel or an animated series. Very simple, but very effective. It had a nice changing of light, nice skybox. Um, very pretty, very nicely designed, a good art style. There's a giant tree with uh, lanterns attached to it. There is the after scene of a party with loads of little detailed wine glasses left out on balconies and so forth. It's nice little flourishes, nice little touches. Um, reminding me of Sable a little bit, which is high praise coming from me. Um, and in this game, your protagonist is documenting the change of season for someone in the future. And so she's telling her story of um, the world as it is, imagining that the world's going to be different by the time whoever's reading her, her notebook um, is looking back on that time. Um, she talks about her parents. She talks about her upbringing in this healer village. Um, and the way that you unlock, the, unlock these little narrative bursts is through documenting the world. So as you're walking around, you'll get a little tick list saying um, a couple of themes that you would like to put into the pages of your notebook. You can take photographs and put those in. You can uh, record sounds such as musical instruments or bird song or um, wind chimes, and all of those go into your, your notebook, your document, and then your character will speak a little bit about the world and what those sounds and sights mean to her. Um, the photography feels nice. You zoom in and out, so forth. The sound feels nice. You point your mic. Uh, the controller rumbles when you're near a recordable sound source, which is really cool. Um, makes a good argument for playing it on console. And then you get a bike, and you push the shoulder buttons to push down the pedals. It felt very tactile and fun. And you flow down roads watching the world go by, this beautiful world. Very mellow, very sable-ish, a great demo. Um, it's a demo on PS5. Um, I recommend trying that one out. It's coming out in 2023. I don't think we have a confirmed release date, um, but I am definitely in on season A Letter to the Future. So those were a couple of nice Game Awards treats, a couple of demos that just came out of nowhere. It was really fun to play those. Um, but now I'll move on to talking about another game that I played in the last couple of weeks whilst I was doing Game of the Year homework. Uh, this is a game that um, I've seen people talk about and people that whose opinions I usually respect um, and I'm usually somewhat in tune with. 
I had some doubts about it though, so I didn't play it myself, but as I'm getting towards Game of the Year time, I wanted to just tick off a few games that I felt I should have played. Um, the first of which is a gothic sci-fi uh, survival horror called Signalis. So Signalis is a 2022 game that came out on Xbox Game Pass Day 1. It's published by Humble Games. It's made by a team called Rose Engine. I believe it's two people plus a musician. Um, it was a game that was eight years in development, a bit of a passion project from what I understand. It has a Metacritic score of 81, although people who love it give it straight tens across the board. Uh, How Long to Beat has it at eight hours. I played two hours of it and then bailed. And it's a moody top-down sci-fi horror um, it has a low-poly style with a pixelated filter on it. Um, it switches between third-person and occasional uh, first-person sections in a way that is kind of cool. Um, and the, the setup for this one is that you wake up in a crashed and inoperable uh, two-person spaceship that has hit an icy planet. Um, you are a humanoid repair robot, a support robot, and you have a human pilot who is missing. Um, they are not in their cryo chamber. And so one of the first mysteries of the game is, where is this person? There's also a little tinge of like, what is your relationship with them? There is some suggestion that it's more than meets the eye. Uh, you find a photo of them in the cockpit, you go looking for them on this planet. Turns out there is an installation on the planet where everything has gone to shit. Um, zombies run amok. Um, you meet other robots, some of whom have gone insane, uh, turned into aggressive creatures and rotted somewhat on the outside. And others who are just these strange, um, listless survivors who give you these doomy prognostications, little little clues of what happened. Um, but the gameplay here is that you walk around the corridors, you've got a gun that you can use, you've got a stun baton that you can use, and you have to save ammo, get past enemies, find keys to open doors, read logs, talk to the scattered survivors. There are bloodstains and corpses everywhere. You find notes and documents, keys and lockboxes and implements. Then there is simple puzzle gameplay, like you wander around looking for keys and then you get the key, wind your way back around to the door, unlock the door and continue. Um, you'll be reading notes that give you a lot of context. There is lots of paperwork like staff logs and um, disciplinary records and diary entries that start to fill in the world for you in, this, in the form of lots of small atomized clues about this world. Um, and you have to figure out what happened and keep going deeper. It's a mining facility. Um, there's some talk about something strange down in the mines and you're working your way down through it. Um, some of the keys reminded me of original Resident Evil, like an owl-shaped lock um, where do you get the key for that? And a locked wooden box that has a strange crystal inside. And where do you put the crystal? Um, and different ID cards that you can use. So it's got a Resident Evil vibe to it. It's got a Silent Hill vibe to it. Um, I quite like the pixel art. It's quite dark. I like the way that it uses light. Like sometimes you'll come into a space and see a zombie just standing looking at itself in the mirror. You can choose whether you want to kill it or just walk past it. Um, the first time I walked past that one. The second time I killed it, it wasted a bullet thinking maybe it's blocking like a note on the mirror or something that I might need. Like you really don't know. Um, the puzzles are a little obscure, I would say. Um, and so you have to make choices. You have to not miss any objects and you have to kind of keep a mental log of what lock is going to fit what key or what ID badge is going to let you into which elevator in a way that I found a little annoying. Like I kept finding all of this key junk and not knowing quite where it went, and I wasn't paying enough attention or making notes or felt feeling invested enough to make notes. And so I ended up wandering a lot, and I, I just tailed off in interest. Like The gameplay wasn't interesting to me, and the story hadn't hooked me enough to jump through those kind of uh, quite dull gameplay loops. Um, but the game is impressive to look at. It has a good vibe. It has good sound. Um, like the sound, one of my favourite sounds was this muffled howling wind blowing against a window of which the seal is clearly going. And so you've got that screaming sound that you get in winter that I'm very familiar with here in Iceland, of the wind howling at the windows and maybe coming in a little bit, making you feel chilly. Um, but the movement is pretty slow in this game. It's very, very, very slow walk. Um, and as I said in Forspoken, um, if it's not fun to move through a game, then I'm 
it, the game is already at a disadvantage for me. Um, if it's not fun to walk around, then you're not having fun uh, most of the time. <laughs> I think it's fair to say. You can also run, but running attracts the attention of enemies. Um, there is combat. The enemies lurch towards you if they detect you. You, ha you can look around 360 degrees with a laser pointer, a laser sight from your gun. Um, ammunition is sparse, but I never ran out in my two hours. Um, you can put enemies down, then stomp on them to finish them. It's fine. It is what it is. Um, but the real selling point for this game, and the reason that I think people love it, is the story. Um, and I didn't really get far enough in. Like, I was I was bored, and so I bailed. Um, but there is some sense of dread there. Some sense of there being more than meets the eye. You have these, what seem to be flashbacks, maybe? Where you go into a dream sequence and you are somewhere else? but then you'll unlock a lockbox and find a tool, and then when your character comes to back in the nightmare world, you still have that tool. Um, so there is some kind of mashed timeline or multi-dimensionality going on here, and I've got a feeling that were one to go all the way through this game, um, that would intensify. Uh, Jeremy Jane from the No Clip podcast is, is someone whose taste I admire, who likes a lot of the same games I like. Very Kentucky Route Zero, very Disco Elysium, very Outer, outer Wilds. And Jeremy Jane uh, says that this is their game of the year. Um, I th and I think that that was mostly because of the story. That was mostly because of this influence from things like H.P. Lovecraft, from David Lynch, from The King in Yellow. Um, so all of the reference points are right. Um, and apparently the hole goes deep. Um, I've watched some YouTube uh, reviews of this game in which people have said that they were in tears at the end. The kind of game that they're squeezing into the hand of a friend to try and get them to play it because they loved it so much. Um, so apparently it's very emotional and wrenching at the finale, but I haven't made it that far and I bailed. I'm not sure I'm going to play Signalis. I'm just waiting for a good spoiler cast so I can see what the fuss was about. So, so not for me that one. That's Signalis. The next game that I'm going to talk about in this episode is one that I've played a little more of. This one's called The Entropy Center. It's developed by Stubby Games, published by Playstack. It has a Metacritic of 81 and a How Long To Be of 9 hours. Um, and this one is a Portal-inspired first-person puzzle game. Um, if you like the Portal genre, you will know that every year or so, a game like this pops up. Uh, we've had games like the Talos Principle. We've had games that are very even more Portal-inspired, like the Turing Test. Superliminal and Maquette, so these uh, puzzle games that tend to lean towards sci-fi a little and have some kind of ingenious mechanic in the Turing test. I, I don't remember what it was in the Turing test, but in Superliminal it was using scale to make items bigger or lower. Um, in Maquette it was something similar, it was playing with scale as well. Um, and so they tend to have like a little um, conceit that belongs just to them and marks them out in the portal genre. In the Entropy Center, it's a time gun. Um, this is one of the better ones in that, that bracket. I'm enjoying my time with it so far. Um, and in this game, it's very Portal-inspired. It doesn't try to hide it. You wake up in a ruined test facility. Uh, nobody else is around. Everything is overgrown. There's beautiful, brutalist architecture everywhere. You seem to have slept through an apocalypse. Everyone has vanished. Um, everything is overgrown. There seems to have been an intervening century or two where ivy grew over everything, where structures collapsed, um, and just no one is around, and no remains of them either. Um, but you have, you find this time gun, you come out of your cell where you sleep, you find the gun, you pick it up, you get a little software pal who teaches you how to use the gun, um, and their face appears on the, the base of the gun, so it's looking at you, this little pixelated face that beeps and bops and smiles at you, like R2-D2. Um, and you move through the ruined station, using the time gun to repair walkways, to uh, build stairs that you need to use to try and get to the control room. You get to the control room, there are some story events that I won't spoil here because it's a few hours in, um, but there, there is a large meta plot at play, um, and it turns out you're going to have to go through these test facilities um, because finishing puzzles generates a certain kind of energy that you're going to need to play out the story. So you move through all of these puzzle rooms, very, very portal-like, um, but the time gun is very cool. I'm going to try and explain how you use it in a puzzle. Um, so one puzzle that sprang to mind is that there are two buttons in a room. You can weigh them down with a box or by standing on them. 
um, and there is a stair that goes up when one of the buttons is pressed to the entry do- exit door, um, and there is another button that opens the exit door. So you need to press both of those buttons at once, but you only have one cube. Um, so what to do? You can stand on one, um, but as soon as you move, the exit door will close or the stairs will go down, and you only have one block. So what you do is put the block first of all on the exit door button, um, move it to the the stair button as uh, so the stairs go up and the exit door closes, use the stairs, then point your time gun at that block. A little dotted line will appear that shows the path that it has taken in the level. Use the time gun. You can wind back time for that object only, not for the whole world. Um, so you can wind it back until it's hovering over the exit door button and drop it, and then out you go. So you use the time gun in, in combination with uh, blocks, with uh, little launch pads that can shoot you around the place, uh, with trampolines. Um, so if there's a you know a bunch of high platforms, but only one trampoline, um, and you can't jump between the platforms, you can walk with the trampoline um, to where you want it to be between various platforms and use the time gun to wind it back through time so that you always have a trampoline that will let you move forward. And I, I enjoyed the puzzles. They're really cool. They're really slick. They're really logical. Um, I didn't get stuck very much. Um, I think I only got stuck once in the, uh, the several hours that I've spent with this game, and I must have done, you know, tens of puzzles. Um, so this is quite an interesting one. I will say that um, I like the look of it. I like the brutalist architecture. I like the art style. It has a slight film grain on the graphics. Um, I love the overgrown, broken down environment of this game. It's all very cool. Um, it has nice humour, like the cute little robots that you meet. They're cleaning the place. Um, it has a little bit of a raised eyebrow in that portal style about the facility itself and its purpose um, and motivational slogans and all of that kind of corporate culture stuff. Um, the puzzles are easy to grasp, satisfying to complete, uh, rarely got stuck. Um, so this is a really fun comfort food game if you like a first-person puzzle game. Um, on the negative side, there is no hint system at all. So if you get stuck, then you're basically running into a wall. You're stuck forever. Um, you just have to look it up on YouTube or just keep trying. Um, and that always feels bad to me. I like it when a game has like a, a pressure valve to release pressure. Everyone gets stuck sometimes and... If your brain just isn't seeing the puzzle, you're not going to have that breakthrough. Um, you don't want to be sitting there for two hours in one room. So you end up going to a solution. Um, it doesn't feel good. I like it when games have something built in that allows for that player experience. Um, sometimes you die in this game, which is a bit weird. Like um, I walked into water just to um, try and swim, see what happened. Um, I had just done a long puzzle, went into the water, died back to the start of the room. So the restart points are a little messy sometimes. Um, there are some aggressors, sadly, in this game as it progresses. Um, so there is some kind of combat. I'm not going to tell you what exactly, but uses the time gun. Uh, it's really tedious, really frustrating. Um, a bit of a tragedy um, that they didn't just leave out any form of combat in this game and allow it to just be a puzzle game. Um, that is a bit of a bummer. So I'm not actually sure if I will progress all the way through this game because some of those sections bummed me out. Um, I will also say on the downside that sometimes the music was a little repetitive. It's this 90s style electronic music. Um, it's very insistent, very repetitive. I found it distracting as I was trying to think my way through puzzles. And so I just turned it off entirely um, and just had the ambient sound. And if you know me, you'll know that I love music and I love game music. So it's a bit of an indictment for someone that loves uh, to hear music as I'm playing to just turn it off completely. Um, yeah, so in, in, in conclusion, I will say that this is a, a solid portal-like game. You know what you're getting on the tin. Um, it has a good sci-fi setting. Um, it's a lot of fun. If you like that kind of game, then you will like this one. If you enjoyed Super Liminal, if you enjoyed Portal or Portal 2, if you've enjoyed Talos Principle and you want another game of that type, check it out. That's the Entropy Center. The final game that I'm going to talk about on this episode is Wavetail. This is a game that I really enjoyed. It is by Thunderful Games. I mentioned it last week. Um, from one game music extreme to the other, this has music by Joel Billet, or Joel Billet rather, who did the music for Feya and for Lost in Random. I think that this 
this uh, musician is one of the best out there. Absolutely love their music that you're listening to right now. Um, so Thunderfall used to be called Zoink. They made those two games that I just mentioned, Fea, Lost and Random. They were absorbed into Thunderfall games. Um, and so you will have witnessed their games before if you've played them, and you'll know that they are pretty good. They're pretty interesting, you know. But this game was one of the most cursed kinds of release um, upon its initial release. It was a Stadia exclusive, um, and it's being presented to us now as a new game. Um, and only by Googling it did I find out that it was a previous Stadia exclusive that is looking for a new home on the, uh, the consoles that we all actually own and use. Um, so let's pretty much treat it like a new indie game. Um, it's a third-person, low-poly action-adventure um, set in an ocean planet where you ride waves in a colourful post-climate water planet. Um, Metacritic has only two reviews, which I guess says something about Stadia. Um, one is a 7 and one is an 8. Um, it has 25 player reviews um, and averages out at an 8.5, so players liked it more than critics. Um, and I think that that's going to be where I come down to. Um, and in this game, you play a teenage girl called Sigrid, who lives with her grandma on an island in a flooded world. Um, there is an archipelago around you called Strandville, um, and there is a sunken city beneath you. Uh, the people that live in this world live on the rooftops of buildings that have long vanished. Um, so there are the tops of skyscrapers sticking out of the ocean, things like that. Um, and it's inhabited by hermits who seldom communicate. Um, there is a black fog that surrounds Strandville, and the locals have to work together to um, handle it by using lighthouses, um, so some kind of ecological disaster has taken place and you are the last remnant of human society. Um, and now that I mention it, it sounds a little bit like Death Stranding um, with this, you know, this fragmented society in a post-apocalyptic world um, that barely communicate and, and you'd have to try and string it back together. Um, but actually it's nothing like Death Stranding. It has more of an atmosphere of something like The Gunk, uh, which I played um, at the start of this year, um, and The Wind Waker. Um, so it's a colourful, jolly sort of game with a childlike feel to it. Um, and while it does have this, this vague climate story to it, um, all aspects of this game are very really light. Like, there's not a lot of meat to the gameplay, there's not a lot of meat to the story, there's not a lot of meat to the message. Um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, I would say, you know. Um, you don't have to dig deep into every game, not, not everything has to be like a heavy-duty game. This is a light experience, um, and I'm okay with that. Um, I would say as an adult player that it could have gone further in many directions, but, you know, what it did is fine. Um, so I guess there's some kind of slight political parable here about ecology and a little bit about class and a little bit about misunderstanding and cultural clashes making things worse. But it's all very surfacey, very light, and sort of puddle-deep puddle, puddle deep. Um, but it's fine, it's colour for this fun experience. Um, and at the start of the game, Sigrid gets a special ability. When a tidal wave hits the island, she has an encounter with an underwater being. And for the rest of the game, she can walk on water. And not only walk, but speed. Speed along water, glide along water. Um, and the water in this game is a rolling ocean with waves and swells and breaks. Um, and you can ride those waves, you can zip along at a very high pace. Um, the traversal is absolutely wonderful. Um, and there is a little bit of a story here. You have to set out and find the source of the black fog, try and set the world right, uh, get sparks to fuel lighthouses. Um, the lighthouses will then open up the next area. Um, there are people that live in different areas that are all cut off by fog. Um, so using your lighthouse will open up new areas, new people to talk to. Um, when you do that, your grandma will sail to the new area. You can follow her boat, discovering stuff along the way. Um, the shopkeeper comes along as well. So there's this little flotilla that follows you around, like a moving hub, which I thought was quite a cute idea, actually. So if you go from one area to an industrial area or to an island's area, the shop and your grandma will always follow you. Um, moving hub, really good idea. And along the way, there is a currency, which is the sparks that you use to open up the lighthouses and power things. There is a secondary currency, which is small sparks or spark fragments. That's a currency used to buy outfits. You can buy hair, you can buy different hats, you can buy different uh, colour schemes for your clothing. 
Um, and there is also diary fragments, these little glowing books. If you pick that up, you'll get a little bit of backstory about your mum, who you didn't know as an orphan, and about the world generally. All of that is stored in a journal, which fills in with sketches and clippings and notes of the people that you meet and that sort of thing. It's semi-voice acted. There are moments of voice acting and then moments where characters will just go, hmm, and you just read what's on screen. Um, and that's basically the loop. You open up the different areas of the map, it takes just a few hours to complete. I think it was, you know, six, seven hours for me. And the real star of this game was the traversal, you know, in stark contrast to something like Signalis, which is a miserable trudging game. Wavetail is all about feeling free, feeling mobile, and that fantasy of fast movement. Um, and I absolutely loved it. I really did. From the very start, you can dash, you can glide um, in the air when you're on land, and you have a double jump right from the start something that I really love. Um, often in games, they will gate those kind of abilities and you have to work up to having them. And only at the end of the game can you really feel as free as the, the full extent of the game's movement allows. In this game, you have it all straight from the off. This game wants you to be able to move quickly, satisfyingly, um, and you can. It suits the game very well that this style of mobility is just built in. Um, there are no more abilities for you to unlock. You have them all from the start. Um, so you can enjoy the game um, using all of the movement that is available to you. And moving, moving over water is so fun. You just race over the waves. Um, if you hold down the jump button, you charge, and then you can jump into the air. Um, momentum carries you along. So if you jump at the top of a wave, you go flying through the air. If you double jump, you go even higher. And then if you press the dive button, you will dive under the waves and swim along before popping out again, going at top speed. Um, there is also a grapple. So if you see an interesting spot from the ocean whilst going fast, um, you can grapple up to a drain and uh, grind up the drain or the gutter. Um, you can grapple onto land. Very satisfying, very fun, very fluid. Bit wind wakery, some people have said, but you don't have to park the boat because you are the boat. You can just walk on water. Um, and so you surf between islands, grabbing pickups. Um, there are puzzles to do. Um, at each island. So you'll meet someone at each island and they'll say, I need some sparks because I need to turn on this machine um, that will power the lighthouse or whatever, open up the next area. Um, the puzzles are very simple. They're usually traversal puzzles. It's usually like climb this tower to get the spark and there's three towers. Um, but to climb the towers, you have to turn on switches that power trampolines that will blow you up into the air. And then you have to chain together all of these different follow cables, switch on switches, chain together moves. So you're flying between platforms, flying between parts of a tower, grappling, trampolining, going through these little jet circles that push you up into the air. All about the fluid traversal, all about the fun, all about the platforming. Um, the puzzles are very, very, very easy. Um, and that's fine by me. Um, there is very basic combat, a couple of enemy types, just little slimes or big slimes or chargey slimes. Um, you can hit them with your net. Um, you have a strike, a charge strike, and an air stomp. Um, I didn't die in combat a single time in this game. Um, it's just just there for the sake of it, I guess. You do wonder why it was included, but I guess in a game that is so light on mechanics, you have to put something in there to keep the player amused. Um, collectibles, a little bit of combat, a little bit of light puzzling. Uh, it does the job for me. Um, there are boss fights. There is one recurring giant boss, like a giant giraffe neck that comes out of the sea. Um, and jets down black ooze at you and you have to scale it you have to climb it like a colossus scale the creature several times pretty fun um, so in many ways this is a super basic game but it's in a way that I really like it reminds me a lot of the gunk actually where you just suck away all of this gunk um, and shoot it out at enemies um, I really recommend the gunk actually and it also had beautiful music the gunk and it was a chill story um, you play through it in a few hours. Um, Wavetail is very much like that. It's a perfect Game Pass game, and I believe it is coming to Game Pass. It's just a comforting, easy, good time game. Um, very nostalgic and very enjoyable.
do have a couple of critiques for it. Um, performance wasn't great on the Series S. It was pretty stuttery. Um, I'm told that that was just a me thing. Tried restarting my Series S. Apparently on a Series X and a PlayStation, it runs perfectly. It has a little bit of jank. Um, you will stick against walls sometimes. Um, a little bit like other Zoink games, actually. I remember in Faya and in Lost in Random, it's very easy to stick against walls. Um, for example, if you're if you're shooting along the ocean really quickly and you try and jump, but you don't quite time it, you can get stuck under a pier, stuck under a platform, and you're just static. And you have to kind of miserably crawl out and jump up again. So I think slickness of movement is something that uh, Zoink has a little bit of an issue with. In Lost in Random, it was always getting stuck against little curbs and stuff. Um, in Faya, I remember getting stuck under stuff a lot. Um, so that's just a Zoink thing. That's maybe something they could fix. Environmental design, maybe, so that there were less um, catch points, you could say. Um, the art style is a little bit strange in this one. Like, the people have faces drawn onto their, their um, polygonal figure, but the facial drawings don't seem to match the expressions. Like, the heroine looks pissed off all of the time, and she has angry eyes and a really, like, pissy, arguing mouth. <laughs> She's supposed to be happy sometimes. It's like the drawings don't fit the emotion of the lines. It was a really strange one. Um, the expressions just aren't right. Um, <laughs> it made me laugh a little bit. It's all very out of whack. She looked so angry sometimes when she was supposed to be overjoyed. Um, there is a little bit of a shallow economy in this game. There's only one currency. Um, you sell out. You can buy all of the clothing and all of the hats pretty easily without really trying uh, to find currency. Um, so it feels like a little bit of a tacked-on mechanic. Um, the combat is cursory, easy, rudimentary. Um, and the world is a little empty. I think that this game could have done with a couple more systems, like just another, just a little extra addition to the combat system, a little extra currency, or a little extra set of collectibles. Just something to tease you and to lead you to spend more time in this world, even if you are moving fast. And just to engage you just that little bit more. It's all very, 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 very lightweight. Um, so as long as you know that when you're getting into this game, that it is incredibly lightweight and, and very simplistic, um, but just a lot of fun to play. Um, I think that that stops it from being a great game. Um, so this one stays at like a seven or an eight for me, just a really, really solid seven or eight could have been like a really solid eight and maybe edging up to a nine. If there was just a little more meat to the, to the game in some way, if you know what I mean. Uh, but I don't want to critique it too much. The traversal is wonderful. The adaptive music is glorious. Um, the quests are simple. You always know what you're doing. Um, it's very simple fun. Not much thinking required. And we all need that sometimes. Um, it does have a wholesome story. A bit of Studio Ghibli inspiration, I would say. A bit of Ponyo. A bit of Nausicaa. Um, so this was a really fun game. And I really recommend it. I had a great time with it. It's a very comforting, easy, good time. That's Wavetail. <laughs> So that's our episode. Hope you enjoyed it. It's a bit of an epic one with all of that Game Awards talk with Forspoken, Season, Wavetail, Entropy Center and Signalis, as well as all of those game unveils and recommendations and previews that the Game Awards had. Um, I had really good fun doing this one. I've taken a whole bunch of Dayquil and I think that as I've been talking, my, my health has kind of um, been stable in a way that it wasn't for the rest of the day. I've had a pretty miserable cold this whole day, um, but talking about games has felt good. Um, I'm fading a little now, so I'm just going to go and uh, fall into bed and uh, listen to some podcasts. Um, but this felt good to do, actually. I felt like I've, I've gotten a whole bunch of games that I had notes about and I thought might be bumped back into the new year, and I've managed to get those reviews out before the Games of the Year episodes kick in. So this was a, a real good um, exercise in uh, cleaning out the closet, talking about those games that I wanted to talk about. Um, I'm really happy to recommend Wavetail to you. I think that the Entropy Center will hit for people who like that kind of game, you know? And I think that for some people, Signalis will be an absolute keeper, winner, all-timer. Um, it was just that the gameplay held it back a little for me. I'm sad that I couldn't quite get into that one. 
I, I do want to get to the heart of that story and to have that experience, but it might just be a game that I enjoy from the sidelines. But next week, I hope that I'm going to be starting those Games of the Year episode. I'm going to be talking to Kieran Daly, who you know if you've listened to the podcast for a while. He pops on occasionally to talk about things like Half-Life Alex, to talk about the latest games that he's playing. So I'm going to have Kieran on to catch up in what his 2022 looked like looked like rather and what his games of the year were i'm also hopefully going to be talking to brian skersher from pixelated playgrounds a first time guest um we just have to set a time for that um, i really love pixelated playgrounds it's a very thoughtful podcast i recommend that you check it out if you like gaming in the wilds and hopefully there'll be a couple of other guests on the show as well still firming things up for game of the year season but my list is coming together for sure and i would love for you to share your top five with the Gaming in the Wild patron Discord community. If you would like to vote in the podcast games of the year, the listener games of the year, then support the podcast on Patreon, patreon.com slash gaming in the wild. I will send you a Discord invite and then vote. Um, so if you want to support this podcast as the year rounds out, if you want to take part in our Discord, if you want to vote in the listener games of the year, then just pop over to Patreon, link in the description. Um, that's it from me come and say hello on social media as well I'm Gaming in the Wild on Twitter Twitch Instagram Facebook I'd love to hear your thoughts on the Game Awards I'd love to hear your thoughts on the games I've talked about I will also say that I appreciate Spotify ratings and Apple iTunes reviews for the podcast that helps it be seen by more people Um, that's it from me I'll be back next week hopefully with the first Games of the Year episode take care of yourselves and each other and bye bye for now